0: Where's it coming from?
1: Let's find out. Welcome to the six degrees of john keel podcast i'm one of your hosts barbara fisher and with me are kendra mauer and morgana tonight we're welcoming stephanie quick she's an experiencer author and thinker in the paranormal community she writes at her blog ghost dog is a mystery box where she explores issues pertaining to women and misogyny in the para weird community synchronicities sex magic and ethics hello how are you doing tonight
2: I'm okay. How are you all? We're We're good. good. Yay!
1: Yeah. So, it's really good to have you here. Um, I've talked with you a lot online about uh, issues of women in the paranormal community. Yeah. Um, And as we both know, it is... The situation with women is we've always been here. We've always been part of the paranormal community. Sometimes a huge part. I would argue that Madame Blavatsky and her theosophy pretty much is sort of the the little tiny thread that runs through pretty much everything in the paranormal community from the 19th century to the present day. Whether it's noticeable or not, at quick glance, it's there. Um, And she doesn't always get the credit for that. Uh, But we've always been here, but we've also always had some issues with being part of the paranormal community. Um, One of my favorite people to talk about who I think is sort of like, as you said earlier, the grandma, uh, sort of our spiritual grandmother in the paranormal uh, community is Catherine Crow. And uh, she's she went on the first scientifically minded ghost hunt that was called a ghost hunt in Edinburgh, which I think is awesome. In a uh, volcano, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty ex- exciting. She went under the pretense that someone was going to buy this building that was supposedly haunted. And they went and they investigated it. They didn't have all of the equipment that modern day... Investigators have, but they did a lot of the same kind of things. They spent the night in the building, and they had a few experiences. And the person who was thinking about buying it said, "Should I buy it?" And they were like, "No, (laughs) 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 no, man, (laughs) no."
3: That's a big. And they brought a clairvoyant.
1: They brought a clairvoyant,
3: which is very of the times.
1: Yes. Well, she was a spiritualist as well. She got inter- in, introduced to spiritualism and got interested in it. Um, but she wrote a book that I, I consider seminal. It's called The Night Side of Nature. And she got the title, The Night Side, from German literature. Um, they ha- There's a, a way that they talk about... There's the the sun side of nature, Mm -hmm. the things that we see on the surface, the things that we see in the daylight, the things that everybody knows about. And then there's the night side where the hidden things are and where the supernatural exists. And one of the things she said in the beginning of that book, and it struck me. Now, she writes like a woman from the 19th century. She was writing in the 1840s. And they really believe in dependent clauses in in the Victorian period. They love those dependent clauses.
2: They're not wrong.
1: (laughs) They love those clauses, man. And so she's writing sentences that today we would be like, break it up into like three sentences because that's a run on. I don't know what's happening. And those words are too big. So... I'm used to reading Victorian literature, but even so, I was sitting there going, dang, girl. Um, But what she said sounded like John Keel. Uh. What she said was, is our scientists refuse to look at this data. Our scientists refuse to look at anything that has to do with the soul, the spirit, anything that happens after death, any kind of anomalous sounds with no natural explanation. They refuse to look at these things. And to me, that's not science. That's what she said. She said, they should look at that. If they were really scientists, if they truly did science for the love of science itself, they would question these phenomena and they would seek the answers to it. And I was like, that's basically Keel, right there. And Fort.
0: And And Charles
1: Fort too. It's both of them. I mean, I I was just blown away by what she said. She also is the person who brought uh, the words poltergeist and doppelganger into the English language. She used them in that book because there was no single word in English to to name that phenomena. So she took it from the German writers. She said the, the thinkers in Germany Even the scientists and the philosophers do not shy away from these things. Hmm. And she said, so that's, that's where I'm taking my inspiration. So she's a very interesting person, but she, she ran across some serious misogyny and, uh, Morgana, you want to jump in
3: there? Um, sure. Cause (laughs) poor woman. Um, experienced what i would think of more as a momentary delirium probably caused by an illness because she was ill at the time she had a fever um and the rumor started that she had been found wandering naked in her street talking to spirits and mad and this was a rumor that was first Put into print by charles dickens of all people um <laughs> which i'm like dude come on now Mm-mm.
2: there i don't know if people are interested but um i saw uh allison Jornlin is a, a female researcher of the paranormal and she has been doing some youtube uh videos on uh Founding Mothers of the Paranormal. And she has a great one on Catherine Crow and this whole incident. And um, it's great because she talks about uh, the Dickens angle and then also she brings up uh, she talks to a couple of doctors because it turns out that when you get sick when you're older, like let's say above 60, 65, your body reacts differently. And it was kind of a shock to me because my own my own mom, I, I live with her and, and help her out. And uh, she's uh, 80 now. Um, you think when you're a young woman, you get like a urinary tract infection and it hurts when you pee and all that type of stuff. Okay, so you know that's the symptoms, you have fever. When you are older, and this can happen to women and men both, uh, oftentimes you won't really have that discomfort so much you'll get a fever and you'll get these highly altered states of consciousness you know people will like you say we're gonna uh, get delirious they will often get very uh, have like a personality change and become like really nat- one time my mo- my poor mom she was sick and i was talking to her she got really nasty at me i was almost crying and then something clicked in my head it's like they keep saying that you can have a UTI, and it makes a personality change, and they can get real, and I was like, ah, and it turned out that's what, what was going on. So Alison uh, Journalin makes a great case in this video that, that she had a UTI, and she probably ended up being delirious, and then she calls out Dickens for being, I mean, why spread these type of rumors, and just, you know, just to be nasty about people, especially, like you are saying, I mean, it was known at the time that she was ill, and people knew back then even so that you know people get fevers and you know it can cause you to you know become delirious hallucinate and stuff and you're not in control of your faculties because you're ill so but i think he was trying to just be sensationalist
3: and i think he succeeded yeah um there he managed to connect to a strong thematic vein of there's this woman who's interested in spiritualism who is found naked at night driven mad by spirits like that is that has hallmarks of witchcraft wrapped up into it and hysteria like the old view Mm -hmm. of hysteria which there's a concept in history that I could get rid of that would be one of them because it's such a frustrating concept
1: well, it's kind of like yes. the uterus just wanders around inside the body and causes every symptom. A yeah. bad-tempered <laughs> octopus. Oh yeah, it's like it's evil or something. I
0: this imagery now of the uterus, little punching, <laughs> <Locking> boxing <laughs> gloves on, being like whack.
1: The little fallopian tubes at the <laughs> exactly. ovaries. <on> the
0: end. <laughs>
2: this enraged uterus in your
0: brain. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>
2: But yeah, it comes, I mean, it's so ignorant, and then it's just, like, nasty, and it and it just goes back to the whole idea of, uh, well, like, even today, the idea that women are too emotional to, ha- like, hold a higher office or something, and yeah. all this type of craziness. Yeah, Morgana, like you were saying, this whole idea, you know, we have this kind of strain, even from, like, ancient Greece, I mean, Pandora's box, what do you think, I mean, box is a slang term nowadays, right? yeah and even going back to ancient cave paintings you have the you know the the the, uh uh, cave paintings of vulvas that would be a box shape right so it's like this whole idea this like everything terrible comes out of a woman's vagina but you know it's a little possibly over overly over over determined what's that phrase i forget it's from like french postmodernist philosophy or something but uh yeah, I think probably that, you know, I mean, a lot, I mean, when it comes to human uh, action, of course, everything evil and everything good does come out of the vagina.
4: <laughs> <But,
1: laughs> yes, yeah, if you look
2: or, at it that way. Or the, or the uterus, let's say. But, uh, yeah, so, but uh, like you say... Dickens, perhaps very cynically could leverage this whole uh, you know thousands of uh, thousands of year long history of the idea of you know women's sexuality, women uh, being connected to spirit as being this evil dangerous thing and use it to to uh, drum up uh, excitement for him, make himself look uh, rational and sensible in contrast and uh, you know get clicks or page views or whatever <laughs> it was back in the day so kind of stink he
1: he, w- he would be getting clicks today i mean mm-hmm. seriously it 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 is the same kind of of sensationalist you could you could think of him as an influencer i guess a, a victorian influencer
2: he could tell a story but it's weird to me trying to figure it out because he wrote about uh you know a lot of pretty trippy he wrote about uh someone who was a spontaneous was a victim of spontaneous human combustion with the alcoholic theory and then he, you know the whole yeah. uh, christmas carol is all about you know ghosts and time travel and alternate futures and realities and all this stuff so i don't know why he had a problem with her from that angle
3: okay um... Yeah. <laughs> Straight misogyny possibly. Yeah,
2: yeah,
4: yeah. I, mean, I don't know what she about was
3: a writer, she was a woman, she was a writer, she was a spiritualist. Um she was competition.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think that, yeah, that uh, could very uh, well be.
3: I think that often
1: has something to do with a, a misogynist attack, is that you know, if women aren't just being quiet and making babies
0: I- I can't defeat her intellectually, so what am I left with?
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's a shame too because it, it has this kind of, like you say, this whole idea that um, uh, you know, very hyper-competitive. There can only be one type of thing, as opposed to, and I think you know, this has been possible throughout history. But a lot of people are able to further their own interests by collaborating with others and kind of moving forward as a group. You know. And it's kind of a shame because you could see a way in which, you know, like Catherine Crow and, and Dickens had, you know, very similar interests together. And it could have been a collaborative experience, but for whatever reason, um, that wasn't in the cards. So, yeah, but,
1: uh, yeah. It, it's it's a shame, really. I mean, she's she's not the only woman from that era that ran afoul of of uh, masculine idea of propriety um you brought up idacratic do you, do you want to talk a little bit about her that she's she's somebody that is not well known in modern times and should be
2: no yes and i uh she just always completely knocks my socks off and i get completely overwhelmed so i actually kind of wrote up a little bit so i don't just end up Talking for like two and a half hours trying to convey, <laughs> <laughs> which I could do, <laughs> but she was uh, an American parapsychological and sex researcher. Uh, she was born in 1857 in Philadelphia and died in 1902. She did uh, book research, practical experimentation. And saw clients in uh, kind of both angles from the uh, kind of parapsychological, spiritualist, esoteric angle, as well as sex research. Um, She collaborated with living people as well as ghosts in her work. You heard that right. Uh, Ida did she's probably most famous for an epic survey of discarnate erotic relationships through histories and cultures between people and discarnate entities um, that's her work Heavenly Bridegrooms um, she also developed a uh, survey to help diagnose sexual difficulties and uh, in couples and people and developed 87 case studies of uh, sexual clients their stories that she worked with in uh, and uh, both of these were, um, I guess, craft ebbing had done. Uh Case studies before she did, but as far as the questionnaire, she was about 40 years ahead of Kinsey, who was the next person to work in that way uh, about sex. Her work was published in medical journals of the day. She wrote on the erotic and religious mystical history and symbolism. She published practical information on how to have a mutually fulfilling sex relationship for married couples and developed a system of erotic mystical initiation of gnosis of the divine, which could be practiced by couples with no need for a guru which is uh, a radically egalitarian approach to
4: uh,
2: spirituality. Um, This work, her uh, mystical work, esoteric work, and the uh, practical sex work was under... uh, education was undertaken in service of her beliefs. She believed in free access to accurate, practical information about sex for everyone. She believed that men and women should enjoy sexual encounters and that women had the right to grant or withhold consent, men also, but it was uh, a moot point for women back then legally. Uh, she came to these beliefs in an interesting way through her relationship with her husband, Sof, who was the ghost of an old beau of hers. So she had this erotic uh, married relationship with her husband. um she he was like a business associate of her mother's, and they had been friendly when she was like in her teens. and he was very attached to her. but she felt, that she was too young to become married or anything, and then he died when she was young. But then she started studying spiritualism and practicing with other people, and he showed up, and um, things quickly escalated. (laughs) They got married. I don't know how you marry a ghost. (laughs) I haven't (laughs) read that part of her diaries. But yeah, they had a sexual relationship, which is basically how she came to these beliefs, and and this is her claim to how she learned everything about sex, because on the material plane, she remained a spinster until she died or unmarried Um, for these beliefs and activities specifically distributing printed uh, materials on sex through the mail which was considered obscene at the time Um, she was hounded and harassed for about a decade by the new york society for the suppression of vice which was run by albert comstock comstock laws Um, she was prosecuted multiple times she was thrown into an insane asylum she was imprisoned in the workhouse she was forced to move out of cities by being found guilty or taken to plea bargain. Um, She fled the country twice to avoid imprisonment or being thrown in the insane asylum by her own mother. Uh, She was compelled to burn the pamphlets of her work which she had paid to have printed herself, so censorship there, and um, she at the age of fine, she was uh, 45, she was finally convicted again of obscenity, uh, mailing obscene materials through the mail, and so prior to her sentencing to the workhorse, work, oh sorry, workhouse, um, she knew this was going to be her sentence, right? She was 45, she'd been in the workhouse before, and she figured it was going to be a death sentence because conditions were very, this is like 1902, conditions were very, very bad at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she had a lot of problems before. So she figured she would rather die at home, so she died by suicide. But first she wrote two letters. She wrote a letter to her mother, She'd had a fraught relationship with her. And she wrote a letter to the public calling out Comstock for this, um, you know, persecuting her. She she actually calls him a sexual sadist for per- persecuting her and saying that, you know, the time has come for people to be able to have uh, responsible education about sexual matters. And, um, you know, this can only benefit society and it's our right as individuals. And um, she was uh, very respected by a number of professionals, as well as she saw a number of private clients from all classes. So she uh, also people who were into free thought, um, which had to do with um, atheism and also being able to uh, uh, follow your own conscience in matters of religion. Um, She had a lot of support. She was actually uh, represented in one trial by Clarence Darrow, the famous lawyer. Um, so she had a lot of public support and she leveraged this by deliberately martyring herself um and leaving this a very powerful she was a powerful writer uh letter and within a year of her death um comstock had had a nervous breakdown and he lost funding for his efforts. And so she kind of cut the legs out of that whole movement of suppressing all this information. And so everyone today owes her a great debt because if you're able to go online and see porn or um, hentai or whatever you're into, (laughs) that's due to her. But uh, also, very importantly, if you have access to information about birth control, sexual health, if you can go online or to your library and look in a book and see a diagram of just your own anatomy, that's down to her. Um, She was also very influential in terms of uh, uh, getting the, and this was even before women had the right to vote. That didn't come for another almost 20 years, 15 years maybe. The idea that women had sexual agency, that women should um, had a right to sexual pleasure. They had a right to determine when they would uh, become pregnant and have a child. They had a right to refuse any sexual encounters and to choose who they wanted to be sexual with. Um, So we really owe her a lot. Um, From the parapsychological angle, if you read that book, Heavenly Bridegrooms, it was written in like 18... 95 97 something like that and it is a burn burner if you have followed uh ufo abduction lore since the 1980s because it's all about um through uh, the entirety of history cross culturally um human individuals having these erotic encounters with these uh discarnate, uh, demiphysical, other type of beings, uh, gnomes, um, fairies, angels, dead people, uh, just God generally, and she takes it all up to the present day because, of course, she can speak to this um, phenomena personally from her own experience, and then she collected a number of other uh, reports from other people who had similar uh, reports uh dion fortune actually gets into very similar reports in her book a psychic self-defense yes, uh yeah. living people who have uh, as you know these uh, uh how do i want to say long distance erotic encounters uh things like that so it's fascinating because um Uh, Bud Hopkins came on the scene in the 1980s, right, and David Jacobs with these uh, books that were very sexual and talking a lot about aliens abducting people and uh, impregnating them or taking sperm from them. Uh, Whitley Streber has talked about this type of thing. Even uh, the very first... uh, Betty and Barty Hill, Antonio Villa Boas, there's this again the sexual reproductive element. So she's great to read, and you can read her uh, work, including Heavenly Bridegrooms in its entirety, <laughs> online mm-hmm. um, at a, it's just idocratic.com. And it's fascinating because it it kind of bridges this this time period where people thought, well, you have like fairies a hundred, you know, 300 years ago. You have like the Virgin Mary uh, getting knocked up by the Holy Spirit uh, 2,000 years ago. But in bet- but between, you know, between then up to now, there's nothing going on. But it's like, wait, this was—it's constantly been going on. These discarnate beings just find Earth people way too hot, and they can't keep their hands off. <laughs> 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 but she really but the misogyny the anti-sex and uh aspect of of comstock is just i mean it's scary and it's i mean it's literally sickening to read how he persecuted her and what she ended up feeling backed into a corner to do i mean the misogyny is just like right i mean especially the last about two years of her life she was just constantly on the run and finally she's just like okay i'm not gonna i'm just gonna go with it and and see what I can do to leverage it after I'm gone. Partly because she had this very intense relationship with her husband and then also uh, people on the other side. You know, um, there was a guy, Iassus. I think he was like a doctor. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but she, he was her main collaborator in writing Heavenly Bridegrooms. He'd say, go in this direction or try and research in this area. And uh, so, but uh, yeah, I mean, the misogyny was like on on display big time. And then she's, you know, very influential with the uh, sex magical practices as they became more uh, prominent in the 20th century. Alistair
1: Crowley had good things to say about her work.
2: He was a big fan of her work, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, Comstock, I'm just going to grab onto him right now. Mm. If I could shake him, I would. Uh, He pretty much went after... He went after men and women both, mm-hmm. uh, for for breaking the law. But he is the motivator behind that law even coming into existence. And he yep. basically went on to the floor of Congress. How this was allowed, it's not really, sh- you know, it, it's not really clear to me. But he basically hounded Congress people until they read his bill that he wrote. Declaring these materials obscene and that if they were taken across state lines physically or if they were sent through the mail, that it would become a federal offense. And the fines that they talked about, you know, you think about, oh, you get a fine, eh, so what? You know, because nowadays, most of the time, if you get a fine for something, it's like $100, you know, a speeding ticket. Ah, eh, it's $150, eh, whatever. These were thousands of dollars. These these were, you know, they were up to, you know, I saw one that was like $1,500 dollars. $2,000, 3000 5000 And in those t- days, that was a lot of money, especially for a he woman. be bankrupted. Yes. For life. Yes.
2: He Yeah, he claimed to be responsible for 15 suicides.
1: And, like, because... that was a nice thing. Yeah. And he was yeah. supposedly a Christian, so he, you know, well, whatever. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna go off on that rant. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he went after Victoria Woodhull, Yep. He went after Margaret Sanger. Yes. Uh, he went after Emma Stone. He mm-hmm. went after. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm running out. I can't remember all of the people that he went after, but it's kind of a who's who of nineteenth and early twentieth century feminists. Um, and uh, a lot of it had to do with birth control. And in mm-hmm. fact, it wasn't until 1997. That the Comstock Act was completely rendered toothless, oh wow, I had no yeah. idea yeah. there was uh it was being used to prosecute people for talking about abortion on the internet in the in the nineteen nineties there there were yeah. some uh right to right to life people uh anti-choice people who were using that to get prosecutions for mm-hmm. people talk. So Barney Frank introduced a bill in 1997 and it was passed that basically rendered it fairly toothless, but it is technically still on the books. It's just that nobody has, has used it to prosecute anything.
4: Thankfully. Yeah, it's,
2: yeah, it's crazy when you think about the first amendment, which is, you know, The First Amendment, and it's pretty sweeping as far as what it protects people being able to say. But but
1: the Comstock Act just pretty much just pooped on it, wiped its butt, you know, and was like, yeah, to hell with that. Waving it like a
2: flag, yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
1: we don't need need that First Amendment. Not when it comes to bodily autonomy Autonomy, or anything.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Clearly, that's a bad thing. Any discussion of sex ever. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just bad for some reason. It's like the seven dirty words.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: In comedy, almost. It it accepts worse in a lot of ways. It's way worse.
2: Because it has to do with, you know, people's health. health. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing.
3: All, All censorship is bad, but there's censorship being bad because it's censorship. And then censorship of important things pertaining to humanity's ongoing health and the rates of segments of its population and that's just it's extra layers of
0: terrible
2: (laughs) yeah and it's it's ridiculous too because it's like this whole idea that uh, I want to say this that men and women are like living on separate planets or something right because the fact is if you're married to someone and you want to have a child then you know, you're you're in the soup together as far as that the sexual health, the yeah, and reproductive health of that person. I mean, people can pass diseases back and forth, right? Children are dependent upon having a healthy um, two parents, really, or you know, whatever to help them develop properly. The people around them need to be healthy. So it's not like it's some separate thing where you have, oh, this person, the woman went out and was a slut and got knocked up. And so she's evil. And and so she deserves to get syphilis. It's like, well, what about the baby getting syphilis when it, you know?
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I know. It's, yeah, it's just ignorant. I mean, it, if I may get vaguely political now, but it's a similar to the whole idea now with the this pandemic going on. And a lot of people saying, well, it's an individual thing. It's like, well, we are individuals, but we are also part of a community and an ecology and a disease ecology. And you can think that you're going to be separate from everyone else, but that's not really how it works when it comes to viruses a virus. and a lot of health issues. You know, just like the water supply. Well, i have my own water supply. Well, you All know. water supplies are connected. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So you can see there that, you know, these, these ongoing threads of, um, like with Ida Cratic, that, uh, she kind of stood up for the, you know, the, the sex and then also the whole, um, spiritualist side of things. So she was kind of attracting this, uh, ire from com- Comstock from, you know, a lot of these angles. And, and lots of times the, the spiritualist stuff, it tends to be associated with uh, the feminine, like a lot of uh, uh, men who would lead seances, there would be a lot of rumors or, or accusations that they were gay, or more feminine that way, right? Um, and a lot of the ladies who led uh, seances were considered to be uh, a little more loose sexually. Of course, some of them were super sexy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what's the problem? I don't get it. I mean, if, you know, if you don't want to go have a seance with a sexy woman, then, you know, no one is forcing you to.
0: <laughs> that's That's been kind of my latest tear is, so what?
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, more power to people yeah. if they want to have a good time. If everyone's on board with it, you know. Yeah. It's, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. So I don't know if we have a, another woman we wanted to incident we, an well, incident we're going to move on
4: to Nessie Nessie,
1: but you've already opened up so many things with with Ida because you, mm-hmm. you talked about spiritualism mm-hmm. and spiritualism of course began with the Fox sisters yep. in New even York even if it was a hoax which they said it was but then real stuff happened after that so it's. Uh, What? I I
4: don't know. Well, that's
2: the thing. If you read um, George Hansen's work on the trickster and the paranormal, he makes, I I always think about this point, I don't know why, but he talks about hoaxes and how they can serve, or claims of hoaxes, how they can serve a lot of purposes. And if you look at a lot of, like, poltergeist phenomena that breaks out, lots of times it'll be in, like, really stressed-out households at times of crisis. And then it brings all this focus onto them. And so you can make a hoax or make a claim of a hoax to get people off your back. Yeah. Because you're just tired of dealing with the drama. You're tired of dealing with all the attention. And so I, I wonder about that with the Fox sisters. If they just... Was it a hoax? Was it a hoax, Barbara? Like you said, because that's the other thing. A hoax can can help kind of grease the wheels for real uh-huh. stuff to happen later.
1: Exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah, so we don't know. Yeah, yeah, they're it, fascinating.
1: But the but spiritualism, as you said, has has been generally associated with women. Mm-hmm. Not always, as you say. There's plenty of male uh, spiritualist mediums. There was Andritti Indrithasan. Mm-hmm. who i love his name because of indrid cold ah. and, uh, yeah he was he was interesting he was a young uh man from iceland and he was amazing at being able to create light phenomena Ooh. in a darkened room and uh things mo- he could he could cause things to move around the room and he was never found to be hoaxing in any way he was he was very strongly investigated Uh, he died very young though. Mm. Um, he was, he was very interesting, but there was also Daniel David Holm.
2: Yeah. He
1: was, he was very, very famous, but you're right. Most of the time it was women. And, um, there was, there's an artist named Hilma Opf Klimt. Mm -hmm. Klint, Um, she's Swedish. And in Sweden now, she's considered one of their greatest painters of the late 19th, early 20th centuries. But she was basically ignored in art history until recently. And she was doing these amazing, huge abstract paintings, like as big as whole walls. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Um, and her abstracts were, you know, predating Kandinsky and Mondrian by a decade or more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was a spiritualist and she Mm -hmm. had a degree in art and she and some other female artists who were at the university had formed a spiritualist group and they were inspired by spirit. They would have seances and meditate, and then they would go paint. Mm -hmm. And so large chunks of her oeuvre were spiritually inspired but do we know about her do do you learn about her in art history class no you do not i i i know because i've taken a a fair number of art history classes starting in the 80s and then in the 90s and i never learned about her you know when i was studying modern art and abstracts never never ran across her In part because she was Swedish, I suppose, and and she was a woman and then she was a spiritualist. So there's, you
3: know, three... So many ticks against you at that point. I mean, it's not that Swedes
1: can't have art. That's not my point. (laughs) But, you know, you don't look as an American, you're not looking at Sweden for your your art. You're looking at France and, and, you know, other parts of Europe. Italy, France that's where you stare at you know that's that's where all those art movements come from so it's it's interesting that we have this thread of spiritualism from catherine crow then Ida Craddock, hilma of Klimt. then we have the the abductions that When you mentioned that, when you mentioned that she was talking about all of these sexual encounters with non-physical or paraphysical beings, um, you're absolutely right. People think, well, you know, there was Zeus and his kinky ideas of how to get a lady because he couldn't just appear as a guy. He had to do all these weird things. What does that say about Zeus? I don't know well, what it says about I, Zeus, but I don't think it's very flattering. Zeus is
0: a geek who didn't know how to talk to
1: women.
2: I don't know. I got I to gotta stand up for Zeus as much of a dog as he was. and that You know I'm a bird watcher, and swans are so beautiful. Oh,
1: I love the I, swan I, part.
2: You know, I've actually managed to be uh, called in by... Uh, hummingbirds more than once who were doing uh, courtship displays where you kind of in at one time that it was really funny I ended up I was just hearing this hummingbird doing a courtship display and I ended up just kind of I don't know, I kind of got this altered state of consciousness. I was wandering over and there was like a coyote, big coyote bush, and it had like a little amphitheater in there. And it, sitting in there was like this this little uh, hummingbird man, and he was singing to the little hummingbird lady, and she was just kind of sitting there like, huh, ah, looking at him. And then I realized I was kind of looking at him the same way, and then we were like, wait, this is like a too weird of a threesome, so we all had to like... <laughs> so I could see! Zeus, I think, was probably onto something. <laughs>
0: oh that's hilarious
2: that that bird had some big mojo man
1: i i can't say too much about zeus and the swan thing because i had an incident (laughs) when i was in culinary school i was in i was in providence rhode island Mm -hmm. and there are wild mute swans that live on the bay Oh, wow. And I didn't know this, but one of my friends in, in culinary school said, hey, we should go out and feed them. She said, yeah. we have to walk across this huge dike that the Corps of Engineers built. See, so Because you, you can't get to their beach, just drive up and, and park and walk. You got you to gotta walk in about a quarter of a mile along. I'm like, okay, I'll walk a- along the rocks. I don't care. And so I took my camera and we took a bunch of bread because we didn't know about peas back then because this is, this is the late 90s. So we walk across this dike. It's a gray, cold March day. And it's just bitterly cold on the water. And we, we get there and they're out on the water. And they see us and they start coming in so mm-hmm. my friend deb is throwing bread out onto the water and you know they're they're picking it up there's about i would say, i counted 65 or 70 and then oh i my stopped God. because <laughs> i just
0: <laughs> God.
1: they're big that's
0: a flock of dinosaurs
1: they were amazing oh well I started getting closer to them because I was like you with with your hummingbird, dude. I was like, they're so awesome. They're so beautiful. So I'm walking closer and closer. And uh, my friend Deb is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just feeding them. (laughs) And then they start coming out of the water and I'm taking pictures of them until my, my roll of film ends. And so I just took my camera off and sat it down next to Deb. And they started to surround me, and I was just handing them bread with my hands. And then I sat on the ground, and she's just like, what are you doing? And they circled me, and one of the young females just laid her head across my lap and let me pet her back. There were males, like, spreading their wings at her. They wouldn't let her close to me. So they were pushing her back, and they'd hiss at her she's a
3: disney princess in disguise
2: not even the disguise is falling away this is an
3: amazing experience
1: and and she was just like what is happening and they were eating out of my hands none of them bit me none of them attacked me they let me pet them uh the bales were towering over me you know when i was sitting on the ground i'm not very tall so they were like you know these giants and i was just like this is so cool and she She told everybody the next day in class, she was like, that woman is crazy. She's like, first off, she's a witch. You're right. You were right. All of you were right. She is a witch. She is because nobody else would have been able to let those swans get around her and not get beaten to death by their wings because they flapped at her and and chased her. They chased her away past a certain point. She's like, she's a witch. There's no other explanation. That she just really actually is. And uh, one of the African-American guys who was in the class who wouldn't let mm-hmm. me near him with a broom said, I told y'all. <laughs> I told y'all. I knew. <laughs> He's like, oh, God. y'all look at me all funny when I was like, girls with green eyes be witches. But it's true. She <laughs> he is. <called> it. <laughs> I was like, all right, I admit it. But, yeah, it was so so I can't say anything about Zeus and the Swans because I, yeah, I totally probably would have been like, yeah, sure. okay, yeah, whatever.
2: Bit by bit, you know, and then next thing you know, you're laying on a couple of eggs.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what are you going to do? Well, and that's what she said to me in the car as we were driving away. She was like, I can't believe you. It was like some (laughs) mythical horror movie, like Zeus. Oh my God. I was like afraid that one of them was going to turn into this giant thing and grab you and fly away. And I was like, well... (laughs) You would have explained it to Zach after you... She's like, yeah, I was going to go tell your husband. Well... She got kidnapped by swans. She got kidnapped by the giant swans. And then they'd be dredging the bay looking for you and taking me in for murder. So, no. <laughs> I just would have driven away and not said anything to anybody.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, so, that's classic, though. Yeah. But, yeah,
1: that's that's... It's the whole idea of non-physical beings having sex. There is a continual, you know, playthrough. through and into,
2: mythology, yeah.
1: And uh fairy lore, angel lore, demonology, incubi, succubi. And it does go through up until, you know, into the 19th century and then you get into the 20th century and there's still some little bits of it. And then it starts to explode with the UFO phenomena.
2: Yeah. Once again.
1: And I, Oh, the UFO phenomena and the abduction thing. I, the first time I read Bud Hopkins intruders, I was, I was in my early twenties and I remember there was one, one account, and I tried to find it in the book the other day and I couldn't find it, but there's one account where it's a transcript of him. Uh, and I believe it's with Kathy Davis where he's mm-hmm. uh, hypnotizing her. He's asking her leading questions. Mm-hmm. And I remember catching that the first time I read it and I was like, how can anybody take this seriously? He's, he's leading the witness. You know, this is not how you ask questions in a court of law. This is not how you, you know, this is how you ask questions as a journalist. I was actually taught by an older uh, journalist when I was in college the first time around. And he was like, Barbara, if you want to get somebody who's closed mouthed to tell you what you know he knows. But he's not going to tell you. This is how you ask the questions. And he's like, y- you soften him up first and you kind of come in from the side and you essentially corner him into making the admission. And that's what Bud Hopkins was doing. <laughs> I was like, he was, he was putting words in her mouth. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of like, he could be creating a false memory that bothered me right away. And he did have men that he worked with. So it wasn't just with women, but the majority of his big cases were women. And that, that made me question what's going on in, in Bud Hopkins mind. And yeah, that bothered me.
2: I I just wanted to add while I'm thinking of it before I forget, but I and I've listened to about half of it, but uh, within the last like about three weeks or so, um, Kathy Davis herself had a big interview with uh, Peter Robbins. He has a new show out meanwhile on planet earth i think it's called and it was fascinating to hear her talk about uh her own experience her experience with her sister she talked a lot about family history and if uh you're interested in kind of the pair weird and people tend to have these type of odd experiences um there's some great stuff in there uh but and it was nice to hear too just her telling her own story because when that book came out i remember at the same time i was I think we're about the same age and I went down to the library up the street and I saw this book and started reading it. And I just had kind of an off feeling about it too of just kind of, my take on it was a little bit of a leading question, but also I kind of got the feeling that it was um, like they were rushing to make everything super literal and physical right away as opposed yeah, to yeah. kind of, I think it's important with a lot of these experiences where you don't know to acknowledge that you don't know and just be able to create a space where people can kind of sit with that not knowing because you just want to run right away to getting some answer and it may be the right one or could be something bad it's just like uh in uh, crime investigation when you see the first obvious suspect and you just put everything on that that may be the case it may be completely wrong You need to be able to know what you know, what you don't know, and be able to live with uncertainty. And it seemed to me like there was a lot of just pushing this to being very literal. And of course, David Jacobs, I think, was the researcher who uh, really decided to make everything super literal and uh, super diabolical,
4: Yeah, (laughs) even though we're
2: in the modern age, (laughs) and this is all crazy new stuff with uh, uh, souped-up science, but still, it just comes down to, like, diabolical, uh, weird beings. And I think he, yeah, that when I read, uh, because Jacobs was coming out around the same time, some of his work, and it was, his transcripts are just atrocious. And um, again, we find, going forward, this whole idea of, like, sexual sadism, talking about these, like, horrible, um, you know, sadistic sexual encounters involving uh, torture and captivity and people being paralyzed so they can't move and having things done to them against their will and we're being invaded by these aliens who are starting to make these hybrids that can infiltrate us and are going to take over the world for reasons unknown. And he's the only one that knows.
4: (laughs) Out of however
2: many billions of people are on the planet, he's the one person who's figured it out.
1: Yeah, that... (sighs) That's uh, not real. I don't know. That's not trustworthy sounding to me.
2: (laughs) No. And again, it comes down to a lot to the whole idea of uh, being like really having a very strange vibe around sex, being really freaked out by sex. Um, And, you know, a lot of it involves, you know, these women getting kidnapped and, and raped and then getting impregnated by these horrible demons. And it's just such a creepy
1: That's a fetish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Morgana just comes right out and says it. She don't play. (laughs) She don't even play. I I mean-
3: It it just is. I believe that strange things happen to all kinds of people, and I will never tell somebody that what they think happened to them did not happen, because that is not respectful. But I I don't feel comfortable with the concept of post-hypnotic regression entirely really because it's shady it just it's it's shady i don't trust
1: artists and uh doctor doctors of history to be doing hypnotic regression in the first damn place yes let's be honest bud hopkins was an artist david jacobs is a historian
3: it should be the realm of psychiatrists and psychologists if you're going to do it to people and it should be done in a clinical setting i suspect um maybe this is because i'm a child of the 90s so i remember seeing the satanic panic on tv
4: Mm
3: -hmm. and all speaking of of leading questions and you know that was like a huge thing like people Kids weren't allowed to play d Kids weren't allowed to listen to heavy metal music. I was called a Satanist because I was gothic. I was a
0: goth in middle school. Because this was still close enough. So, I have a funny story about the Satanic Panic, if I may. Yes, okay. so, please. I lived in the northern part of Cincinnati, a little town called Fairfield. And I used to race bicycles, so I was on a bicycle all over the place in the hills and hollers in that region out of nowhere there on all of the road signs there was this little black bat in the in the letters e-i-r-n-t all right underneath it and it was the weirdest thing it just showed up everywhere all of a sudden and there were all kinds of theories as to what these stood for what it was all about so I started and then and then little white crosses started appearing above the little bats and it was this whole thing.
1: Okay, so, this is wild.
0: I, I I was dating this guy and I said something about these these little bats. He busted up laughing and I'm like, What? And he's like You're gonna love this. I'm like what? And he goes, Me and my buddies got really drunk right one night and Eert is the sound that the bats make. So we made a little bat and put the sound underneath it and spray painted it everywhere. And everybody lost their minds. It started putting little white crosses. He's like, it was the best way to spend a summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
3: Yeah. That's looked- awesome.
4: hmm that Good was the CNN. thing
3: when <laughs> i was that it was like that that there was yeah. like, that climate like that exactly. when i was a teenager even just like in in middle school and when i was younger is things were satan yeah still like there's a suspicion of that and it didn't really that culture didn't change until columbine happened and then all of a sudden everything was school shootings instead of satan
2: mm. There's still that whole, because there's a whole, um, I forget who I was talking about this with. I was sending someone a, a long private message screed, I think, or something. Anyway, um, but yeah, there's a, this whole uh, kind of uh, industry where you have, uh, like, a, they tend to be kind of evangelical churches and they have their whole media set up, and you have uh, Christian books being published, and then you have, um, well, like cable TV was big in the 1980s, like the 700 Club, and you have uh, radio stations that started to become more along that ilk, and people, speakers that would make a circuit between all these uh, institutions, and so you could have this kind of consistent messaging about, uh, you know, what is Satan. Uh, I had a, um, in the 80s, we had um we lived in suburban uh, Castro Valley in uh, the greater San Francisco Bay area. And our neighbor who was uh, Catholic and had lived, or her husband was Catholic. She was evangelical. She lived next to us for like 20 years or something in the same town, everything. And she became convinced through watching the 700 club that in our uh, elementary school down the street that I'd went to, my mom worked in the, uh, school district office and was in elementary schools a lot she became convinced that they were having satanic worship and child sacrifice in the schools yeah you know i was like but what what well she saw it on tv and she's getting it from her church too so she's getting it from these various angles and it's just like but i was down de- i mean at this point i think i was even working as, like, a teacher's aide off and on in the schools, we were there, my mom was working there, it's like, we have all these people that are in and out of there all the time, but, yes, she's relying on, because she's getting it through all these authority, uh, uh, kind of channels, you know, TV, the church, and everything. Yeah, so it's crazy, but, um, yeah, so there was definitely that angle, and I think that the whole, uh, alien abduction phenomenon ended up kind of uh, running with a lot of that same energy. And there was a, a lot of the same uh, ideas of uh, using hypnotic regression to help retrieve these memories, which could be a very dicey uh, proposition, especially, I mean, the last thing you would want to do is to have, you know, people that, like you said, uh, Barbie, that have like no training <laughs> and don't know what they're doing. Um, it, speaking of women in the paranormal, again, it, I, uh, there's a great book, and it's interesting, too, because of where it falls time-wise, but uh, Anne Druffel and D. Scott Rogo wrote on the Tahunga Canyon incident. And I think Anne Druffel is still alive, last I heard. Anyway, she's very old. But they investigated these um, strange encounters that in some instances, instances seem to be very physical, and in others seem uh, very... Uh, demi-physical or uh, in the imaginal uh, with some women who are living in this canyon uh, themes of reproduction come up and, and uh, erotic attraction and love come up as well as uh, healing modalities in these incidents and they did end up using at some point a, a hypnotic regression but it's fascinating to read this book because it was uh, prior to uh, Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs but they uh, go to great lengths to find a, uh, a medical certified you know psychologist who's a hypnotherapist, and to have the person checked out for medical conditions, and they take a lot of care with the whole process. And it's not like they're just relying on that for everything, hinging everything on that, but they, you know, visit sites and they take witness accounts and they just try and all these angles to try and get out what's happening in this phenomenon. And they have some of the freakiest drawings in that book of aliens. Cause at one point that this woman and her son and her like girlfriend, Are in this car and they pulled off on this uh, windy remote road. And they're in the car, and these entities come up and they're like humanoids, pretty much like people, but it's kind of like they're in this kind of like matte black all over, and they have like a black matte face, and these drawings are really creepy, and the one entity gets, like, really worked up and angry, and they're in the car, and he's just, like, shaking the car, and they're just, to me, that's, like, one of the creepiest.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's thought.
4: Because
2: it's not, it doesn't even have, like, the fig leaf of the high tech or anything, it's just, like, these kind of, like, beings of the void coming and getting upset because they want something from you emotionally and trying to get in and just like shaking this. Oh God.
1: Oh man.
2: Oh yeah. Oof.
1: That's a big note.
2: Oh yeah. But it's, it's fascinating because it's kind of like, Uh, prior to things getting crystallized in the Hopkins-Jacobs molds. Yeah, of, okay, we're going to hypnotize you, and then, of course, you have the hybrid babies because they're infiltrating us to getting taken over the world, that whole scenario, right?
1: See, that whole thing, I see that as Hopkins and Jacobs using women to further a story that they are telling in their own heads that I, you know these yeah. women maybe don't even know what their own experiences were anymore because they had their experiences guided and possibly changed by hypnotic regression and that all oh, that just makes me so angry mm. <laughs> it just it's
2: yeah yeah cuz the thing is well and now we get to more, more women who <laughs> were uh, involved in all this uh, drama um, because uh, Bud Hopkins, during part of this, uh, later when he was dealing with uh, Linda Cortile and the, that whole incident, um, he was married to a woman named Carol Rainey, who is a documentary filmmaker, and she makes a lot of uh, kind of science uh, science for the popular culture Uh, thank you (laughs) yeah movies so she works with a lot of scientists in the process of making these films and has been exposed to the methods procedures ethical considerations and that type of stuff and she ended up marrying bud hopkins and they had a very uh, passionate relationship but she ended up filming a lot of him and his work and she had been uh i think raised in a particular religious type of uh, environment where she hadn't really been exposed to a lot of the whole alien abduction stuff before she married him and, and met him. So she has since then come out with um, some uh, film footage and then also she's written a couple of, of articles about some of the stuff she saw happening that goes to Hopkins um, looking for like the next big story. Mm-hmm. As you know, cause you kind of got the feeling that, and, and I understand, part of the problem is that people have these weird experiences. You don't really have places you can go to for decent help.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so he published these books about these uh, abductions and weird encounters with lights and beings and craft. And then he starts getting like a ton of letters from people who want help with their experiences. And, um, so a lot of people and people that I respect found him incredibly helpful with them. But I think a lot of people, you know, you just, he's one person, you can't address all of this. And then, um, Carol Rainey said that she felt there was a situation of him kind of looking for like the next big story that would kind of top what he'd have with like Kathy Davis. So there was this woman, Linda cortiel who has this exciting story that she was, in her, in her uh, white nighty, and she was, like, floated out of her apartment, and these guys
4: who,
2: Yes. These guys were, like, I think they were stopped on the Brooklyn Bridge yep. by this UFO, and they saw the UFO, they saw her being floated out and up into the UFO, and there were supposedly two uh, bodyguards to, I think it's Perez de Cuellar?
1: Yes the, yes. the
2: big guy up in the UN. Uh, he's not in the UN. <laughs> he's big in the UN organization.
1: Yeah, I knew what you
2: So, yeah, so this is, you know, a pretty spicy, uh, exciting, you know, it's like, you know, the truth about UFOs, you know, it goes all the way to the top, right, kind of scenario. It's,
1: it's very Moulder.
2: <laughs> yes. And uh, Linda Corteele is, I mean, you can see uh, – video footage of her, and she is an Italian-American housewife from New York, so she's uh, very fun to watch, and can really tell a story, and very emotionally uh, exciting, and, you know, I got this real charisma to her, but I I think that, uh, well, there's times when I guess Carol... uh, saw that uh, Bud had picked up the phone and, and Linda said, oh yeah, my cousin saw this, I'll have her call you. And then she sees him pick up the phone and he's like talking, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he gets this look on his face, he puts it down and, and she could hear through the phone too. It was obvious that it was Linda pretending to be her cousin. And uh-huh. he knew it. But the story is so great and you could, you know, he was making a lot of money. I mean, I, these were yeah. best sellers, yeah. right? Like a communion stuff, that you know, that kind yeah. of phenomenal yeah big moneymaker. And um, so he was looking for like the next big story she felt. So when Carol came out with this information, it was after uh, unfortunately Bud uh, became ill and died. They had divorced before then, before that. So when she started to come forward with um, this film footage and started to talk and write about what she had experienced in all this, um, It's terrible. I had people that I have known before then and since then, and they're good people, and if they think they're respectful of women, I think that they make a good effort to be, but they're like, oh, well, uh, I haven't looked into it, but it's like obvious that she's just like, you know, a woman scorned. What can you do? And I'm
3: just like,
2: uh, she really got, yeah, she really, yeah, she really did. And around the same times, we had, uh, you know, Buck Hopkins worked very closely with um, David Jacobs, although Jacobs had more of the grand, uh, kind of blood and guts and demons. Uh.
1: I, think, so, I think that mm-hmm. the difference between the two is Hopkins mm-hmm. wanted to rescue women. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted to be a knight in shining armor. He mm-hmm. wanted to help women. He didn't want to hurt women. I don't think he... Had a bad intention in his body.
2: Kendra's making a finger.
1: I, yeah, I know.
0: She's used to me making the finger. And I'm trying not to interrupt. <laughs> but I'm like, go ahead. Yes. Go go for it. It's something that I have noticed. Because a hobby group that I'm a part of. Is very much married to the chivalric knight in shining armor.
3: Mm-hmm. Every
0: guy wants to be a hero. And the hero needs a damsel in distress. And mm. unfortunately. That. Damsel may not be in distress, but he'll save her anyway to feed that need to be the hero. And as a result, they paint some of the stronger women as women in need when we're not. And it kind of undermines us as strong women. And when we fight back against it, everybody's like, oh, he's a great guy. He's just trying to be the you know, he's just trying to help. And it's like that's great and all, but for every hero, there's a victim, and mm. that's the problem. They produce victims in their programmed into their own success stories, and that's it, it's like they're a hero on the backs of a strong woman, and it drives me crazy. And that's what
1: I think was happening in part yes. with with Bud Hopkins. And- he wanted. He wanted to save Kathy Davis. He wanted to save the other women. He didn't want them to go through these traumatic stories. But at the same time, he was kind of programming his idea of what they experienced into their experiences. So I just kind of feel like if that had been done to me, I wouldn't know what, I, what my story was at that point
4: right
1: yeah and it
2: yeah and and is it really helpful to start like you say if people i mean if these people have been traumatized and victimized um then i think it's more helpful to help them uh you know control their own story and the other thing that happens is that you know researchers tend to get kind of a, a scenario going in their mind of what kind of how they think things play out certain themes and stuff like that. And so they will uh, give positive reinforcement to people that match those yes. themes yeah. and stories and then kind of not ignore or maybe kind of discourage or downplay people that have like other type of
1: uh, things happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's where Keel's belief is the enemy kind of comes yeah. in because Hopkins had a theory and a belief as to what was going on in the overarching story. So that meant he kind of had to stamp on these smaller stories the hallmarks of that overarching story, and that messed up the individual's narratives. And so then, you, you know, when you... The idea of having a false memory created horrifies me more than little gray creepy alien dudes coming into my bedroom and thinking I don't even know what they do you know but whatever (laughs) they're doing that I'm actually more worried that it may have been something else entirely and somebody went into my brain and muckety-mucked with it
0: and it's a violation by your own kind yeah we're supposed to be on you know, Team Human. Yeah. Team Human is messing with Team Human. That's a problem. Team Alien, they're their own thing. We need to be a team, not yeah.
1: And then yeah. David Tag, Jacobs, I think he just has issues. As Morgana said, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a kink. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a whole mess in there
3: i and, well, also think that mm-hmm. it's highly likely that researchers did not realize that they were doing this at first yeah oh, and tons of re- researchers didn't realize they were doing this at all yeah um and there's plenty there are female researchers who've used hypnotic regression i'm thinking of linda Moulton howell off the top of my head mm-hmm. yeah um and with with abductions even um which have been medically creepy yeah um i'm reading an alien harvest right now Mm -hmm. and there's there's plenty of super super creepy definitely frightening things happening in those and so i i almost wonder if the tool is the major problem. Yeah, I Yeah. Then followed by a possible other problem of who is wielding the tool and to what end. Yeah. And I just... Everybody stop hypnotizing people, please.
4: Just well, please.
2: <laughs> this, 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 and part of the problem Maybe. is... Maybe. I don't yes. know
3: enough about it to, to say straight up no. But as everything I have read about... Hypnotic regression is that it's dicey. It- well, the
2: other problem is that the pri- when you have these like high strange encounters, like you have a near death experience, you see, you get close to a landed craft, uh, you see Bigfoot, uh, ghost, poltergeist, People are getting in these like really uh, unusual and exotic altered states of consciousness that they cannot. Uh, get out of, calm down from, maneuver in, and so in a way, uh, there's like a, people like a Jeff Ritzman, Jeremy Vaney, a Jack Brewer, they're very against any type of hypnotic regression, which is fine, I I don't know that I really know enough about it to completely rule it out, but at the same time, I think they don't go far enough, because some of, Some of these people, I've known some people that are very prone to these uh, kind of dissociative states, uh, trance states, uh, weird altered states of consciousness. If you watch too much TV, it can (laughs) mess you up if you're that type of person, right? So I think it needs to be, we need to have, to try and serve experiences better, to try and get a a better understanding of kind of like the range of these states of consciousness. And you know, for some people, just not hypnotizing them is not going to be enough to yeah, help yeah. them, I think. So
1: i I do find it helpful that there are more licensed uh, psychotherapists, psychologists, mm-hmm. art therapists, um, psychiatrists who are open to these quote unquote, unusual experiences. I don't mm-hmm. think they're that unusual. But I'm biased. So, (laughs) because I've had lots of them, so maybe I'm just biased. But I do think that it's better that we have more therapists who will accept that there is a range of human experiences of consciousness Mm -hmm. and that so long as you're not trying to take over the world after you have one of these experiences, (laughs) if you're not running around trying to kill other people, if you're not starting cults where people are going to be drinking some Kool-Aid and keeling over and dying, you're not handing somebody some pills mixed in applesauce and a bag to put over their heads,
4: Mm.
1: then maybe it's more close to a, just a, a different experience than something pathological.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's incredibly encouraging. Um, there was a, uh, I'm, I think it's still going on, but there's something called the, uh, spiritual emergency network and you can find, uh, therapists and psychologists and stuff. We're uh, more open to these type of, um, uh, happenings and, you know, people that are, you know, suddenly got, uh, you know thrown in in the sea of the high strange and helping them stabilize so
3: i i think that's awesome i think that, that yeah would be I a think great that's necessary way to to help because i do think a lot of i think the majority of people who are in the high strangeness are just trying to figure it out and also help because it's it's a weird place to be in <laughs> <laughs> to say the least <laughs> um and it can be really really disturbing and scare a scary place to be in and a very alone a place that can feel very alone and i think i think anybody who is genuinely attempting to help other people and is keeping an open mind and not going in with heavy preconceived notions about things mm. is what people need yeah. I think in my extremely un-professional un, um, opinion, I am not a professional at anything. You're a professional cook. That's true. I am a professional cook. So nobody uh, yeah. should listen to me about things, honestly, really. Like, I don't
1: know. <laughs> no, you're talking sense. Um, I actually, before I started this podcast, I finally came out to my therapist all the way. And said, yes, I have visionary experiences. I've experienced very strange things. And she said, is your art informed by these experiences? And I said, yes. And she said, I thought so. And I said, <laughs> and you didn't run me immediately to the hospital? And she said, no, she said, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, <laughs> She said, I'm like, good, so I can start a podcast <laughs> I'm not crazy. She's like, no, you're not crazy. I could have just, you know, you could have just asked. You could have just said, hey, do you think I'm crazy? And, um, but it, I, I do think that having, that that is part of why we started the the podcast was to have other experiencers understand that there's more of us out there and to not be afraid to tell your story I mean, in certain circumstances, dear God, don't tell, you know, there's some people you should never tell that to. There are just people who are not going to listen to you and they're going to they, say, yeah. oh, you need to go to the special hospital and, and that's not going to help. But yeah. there are people who will listen. And some who... people
3: will label you a Satanist and tell you not to be friends with their child anymore. just... <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah there's careful when that, yeah. you're 12 be careful yeah. when you're 12 okay everybody
1: <laughs> if you're 12 maybe you shouldn't have been listening to this particular episode but maybe not i don't know it depends on the parent i would have let my kids listen to it but
3: you're we've covered that your version of parenting while awesome is <laughs> also eyebrow raising at times yes wow. given me edgar Allan poe to read at like age six
1: <laughs> letting you break into the the uh
0: <laughs> letting me break into an old asylum
3: yes.
1: yes
0: she didn't let you break in she handed you a screwdriver and said good luck kid it's called aiding and abetting <laughs> yes <laughs> here's a quarter to call me if the cops catch
1: you <laughs>
2: there you go oh my gosh
1: she was same. 18. I There wasn't really any good yeah, that, way. That, oh, yeah, the rearing had
3: completed.
2: Yeah. Uh, my so. dad likes to say at a, at a certain point, you know, you you know, you know, don't want to be considered responsible for uh, your kids' uh, bad stuff. So you can't take uh, credit for their good stuff either. You just kind of.
0: <laughs> my mom yeah. says the same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Although in my family, it was always she gets it from your side of the family. <laughs> Uh, that other part, she gets that part from your side of the family. <laughs> you know, my mother always used to say, She's a fisher! She oh, looks no. like them. There's nothing like me in her at all. I mean, I've always just tried to be quiet in the corner and not say what I was thinking, so...
2: That's probably prudent.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's very prudent. Um. So... Wow, we've we've gone from the 19th century to the 21st. So have we had any experiences of our own that, you know, inform the idea of women in the paranormal community having run across some uh, misogynist foolishness that we want to talk about?
0: <laughs> that's good <laughs> there we go right there hundred dollars to barbara <laughs> we wanna talk. i was getting there i was getting there yeah, i'm like i'm gonna stare at an uncertain point off screen for a while
4: <laughs> and then I'm kendra's
2: our wine. mascot <laughs> <laughs> um if people are interested i actually did a uh, show on the farm probably about a month or so ago. Actually, yeah. we, did, we, we recorded on January 6th while... Uh,
1: while that <laughs> nonsense was happening. Yeah.
2: Yes, we were like, okay, we're going to start recording, and who knows what's going to be happening when we're done. <laughs> but um, Recluse is the host there, and he actually approached me about doing... Uh, show about misogyny in the para weird arena as it turns out and if people want to go listen to that I talk about some of my personal experiences I'll put
1: it in the show notes
2: thank you it uh, I really appreciate he was so good he uh, if I want to talk a little bit about uh, people who want to be allies to women He was so good we talked about everything beforehand he gave me the questions he was thinking about uh asking uh you know a good couple weeks beforehand or two or three weeks beforehand said uh does this sound good you can uh include any you want or nix any that you don't want um you know i talked to him about things i didn't want to get into i mean he was real supportive and then i didn't know until we actually were recording and he, he talked about how he's had a number of friends and uh ex-girlfriends who had been sexually assaulted or raped and how it had affected them and it really informed his opened his eyes and informed him um so it was a real important topic to him as well and i think it gets back to the whole idea that that um you know, we live in a sexist society, and there's a lot that wants to say, okay, men and women are two kind of separate uh, spheres here, and in some ways, you know, people can be, but that, you know, really, we're all in this together, Um, so, but if people listen to that, it it was harder on me than I thought to just be kind of, because I wanted to, think, what do I want to talk about, what don't I my own personal experiences, and when it was harder on me than I thought, I'm almost 60, and um, just stuff that happened when I was growing up and a girl, and, you know, I, even just before lockdown, uh, I got groped by uh, someone who lives in my neighborhood here, because I uh, got a little bit uh, relaxed and let my guard down, <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's terrible. Um, I, I, It is important to me personally uh, to get more women uh, heard and around, and create more spaces where women can be heard, and uh, women and men, and uh, people of different races, different ages, and orientations, and whatever can uh, uh, you know get together and you know have a more uh, diverse fermentation of ideas. Because part of the thing is that, you know, there's a the kind of stereotype that is kind of a bunch of middle-aged or maybe uh, middle-aged plus white guys who are <laughs> involved yeah, in the whole yeah. UFO and paragraph things. And, yeah. and, you know, so we need, like, younger people. We need people from different experiences because, of course, we're all coming out this through our own lens. And so if we get a bunch of different lenses, it, you know, we're more liable to be able to kind of... Z- hone in on different ideas you know people from different backgrounds um uh scientific uh, versus artistic versus uh, there's a lot of anthropologists out there folklorists, you know whatever um so uh but i have noticed that i mean it's nice that i mean part of the thing is too is that you know everyone's doing this kind of as a hobby no one's i mean there's probably like three people making money off of this right the rest of (laughs)
4: us are not
2: So everyone's doing it as a hobby, so of course you want to have fun and you want to be with your friends, and and I have a lot of wonderful people that I'm very fond of and really respect in this field, Um, but at the same time, for the field to advance, it's important that we focus on the work and um, ideas, and that we have spaces where, you know, you get uh you know different people with new ideas and and new people as opposed to just like the big name draws um that we fold in as well you know young people people are just starting to speak out and and forming their ideas okay so i want to talk about something that happened to me personally not because i'm uh so special but because it's kind of a typical thing that happens and then also you know, when you talk about these type of things, it can have, like we were talking about with Carol Rainey, it can have this kind of backlash, and I don't want to try and direct that type of backlash to anyone else. Um, I know a person, I've known them online for many years, um, they're a man, and uh, they're very uh, prominent in the community. I've had a lot of respect for them and their uh, many endeavors. I have... Uh, promoted them uh, in my own capacity in different ways and I recommended uh, uh, pieces that they've written and stuff and they um, are prominent in terms of uh, helping with a large um, outlet for paranormal uh, material online. Um, So I've known them for probably 10 plus years And in the last about three years, I've been uh, blogging a lot and podcasting and everything. This person never um, retweeted any of my uh, posts. They never uh, recommended anything that I had done, which is fine because, you know, I talk about, like, ghost sex and how to do it and things like that. So I can see if people don't want to get involved in that, I I understand. (laughs) (laughs) However... Um, I noticed, especially the past year, I had been involved in a couple of arguments with this person, When specifically when they, about uh, sexism, and uh, one time it was that they were pro- promoting a word and I said that that's really sexist in my experience and in my use, and I would not recommend it, and they were just would not back down and were arguing with me that I, as a woman, did not know what words were sexist and have been used against me in a sexist way. Um, Anyway, so a while back I ended up finally that this person used their platform on the internet to uh, mention me to their audience and it was because they were saying that they were blocking me and that they recommended that other people do so as well. Uh, Which is not that great uh, for me personally if I'm trying to like get more clicks or whatever. But the worst part for me is it's very important to me to try and get more diverse voices heard in this community, partly because, you know, we're all looking at this from our own angle, from our own lens, and we need to get a bunch of different Angles in there so that we can try and hone in on these things Plus I love a weird story and you know different backgrounds different people They always have like a different kind of weird thing happening. They'll have some fantastic insight that you love so And the thing that I've said this to a number of men in the paraweird community over the years is what happens if you have some 22-year-old Latina woman who has great ideas, is smart as a whip, and she comes upon this as her first contact with the community or with your particular part of the community, and you're just, you know, dumping on a woman for no reason, or you are um, a lot of these... The UFO community in particular, which I've been involved in, tends to be a lot of uh, middle-aged and even older than middle-aged, that would be me, uh, white men, right? A lot of great uh, guys, needless to say. Uh, But they'll share a lot of pictures of, um, like, go-go girls from the 60s dressed up as, like, space bomb beauty kind of things, which is fine, but if that's, like, all you're putting out there, it's like I, I asked uh, my collaborator in Synchronicity Experiences one time, Steve Ray, it's like, where's the UFO beefcake, right? If we're going to be equal about it, <laughs> you, don't see all,
1: you don't see,
2: like, sexy. Closest,
1: <laughs> Closest thing we get is Valiant Thor. And Valiant uh-huh. Thor you from the what? 50s is not all that.
0: Exactly. I, I kind of an, a nerdy-looking
1: dude. I yes, see a niche is,
0: that needs to be filled. Exactly.
2: <laughs> or we could uh maybe focus on ideas and creating a welcoming space for people of different uh, backgrounds um which is terrible because um as i was saying we recorded this once before and, and there was a technical problem so i'm saying it again but um there's probably like three maybe four people in this whole thing that are making money the rest of us everyone else is doing it for love right which is has great advantages, but, you know, people want to uh, promote your friends and be around people that you like and just get into these things, which is all great and fun. But at the same time, if we want to advance in our understanding, I think we're going to have to show a little bit of self-restraint and a little bit of discipline in terms of the face that we're showing to make sure that it's inclusive and that it's welcoming. And as if people come upon us, that um, they'll feel feel inspired um to communicate and to be heard. Um, I'm always concerned with, uh, especially younger people, in my case, this would be like a 40, someone's 45 or
4: something. <laughs>
2: you know? Partly this is just the field is old. Um, you know, coming in and participating, I, uh, oh gosh, I, you know, people like Artie Sixkiller Clark. I mean, it's fantastic the work that she's done with uh, gathering uh, the stories of indigenous American people of, about, you know, encounters with I craft the sky there. people. It's fantastic. It's added so much. But you need to, you know, she's been dumped on, too, uh, for her work. Um, Diana Walsh. This is great uh. Uh, theoreticalist stuff. She has been harassed off of social media
1: Yeah, And
2: at some point, and I'm talking to you men right now, you all love reading my sex magic stuff. You love hearing me talk on podcasts about sex and the clitoris and go sex, right? What you could do for me, (laughs) if we're going to make this transactional, (laughs) don't just share Diana Walsh. I mean, she's like a goddess and a rock star. Don't just share the person who has the PhD and the best-selling book I mean, you share them too, but share the, uh, you know, the young women, the women who are just starting out. I mean, you can f- feel free to message me. I will find you people that, and tell, tell you what to say about them. But if you start to create an environment where, you know, even if people are saying stupid things or having missteps, but people are looking around saying, "Hey, look, there's, you know, a a 30-year-old black guy there talking about this stuff," or here's a a, a young uh, Asian woman talking about, um, you know, mushroom uh, circles and the contact with the, the mycelium is through the pineal gland or whatever the heck, right? You know. If they start to, we just start to see more of these people through, and this is a very easy thing for everyone to do. Just sharing diverse voices, and people are doing different stuff. Um, Then we could start to create a uh, an atmosphere where more people will um, be. Uh, feel welcome and come up and that that's something you could do even if you don't feel like you have the guts or you're just uh, don't feel like you can deal with the drama of confronting people about harassment and things like that but even just i think sharing voices and kind of amplifying uh, women's voices people of color voices um you know start to create a momentum so that's my spiel
1: on that (laughs) i think it's a good spiel I think it's a really good
3: spiel.
0: Well, and something that I would like men to recognize is that even though they're not actively engaged in misogyny or sexism, they still benefit from it. And I want guys to really start to analyze wh- what they can do with what they gain from that misogyny. So use the platform that gives them to help, everybody else be a part of the community whether it's you as a guy as what these guys perceive as an equal or a, a someone who's lateral to them speak to them say that's not okay that behavior is uncool because there's only so much they'll hear from us yep, yep. yeah yep yeah i've been because... saying
2: this for a decade
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> because yeah.
1: I've been involved in in conversations. I mean, I've 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 been involved online in the weirdness community off and on for probably 25 years in different facets of it. Mm-hmm. Um and every time I have argued a man into the ground i've pulled out the aristotelian logic and beaten them over the head metaphorically with the logic book you Mm -hmm. know in the hand and been like no this is how rhetorical conversations work you're arguing with something that isn't what i'm saying you're arguing with something else i want you to go back to what i said it's written down this isn't a, a verbal conversation this isn't vocal This is written in text. It's right there. It's text-based. I'm going to act like we're two scientists trying to hammer out a theory. So I want you to go back and give me proof from what I said that what you are saying is relevant to what I said. Every time I've done that, instead of actually doing the work and admitting, Oh yeah, I was actually arguing with what I heard someone say 15 years ago, that sort of sounded a little bit like what you're saying, and but it's not really. Instead of doing that, which is the way you, you act as a mature individual, you say, oh, crap, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And then you move on. They will just ghost every time.
2: I, I just had to do that. I think it was yesterday. <laughs> I got, I don't know, it was first thing in the morning and I read a, a tweet and I got all hot and responded. And then I was like a, about the fifth tweet in my thread. I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I misread the OP. Please forgive me.
0: <laughs> I've been there. That's
2: so
1: it's always embarrassing, like... but it's better to be embarrassed than to yeah. just be a jerk. I mean, yeah I
2: mean everyone goofs uh, everyone goofs and you know if people ha- are of goodwill if you honestly and and um you know sincerely apologize then and, and especially in public I found uh you know actually it's, it's a good way to uh, gauge a person's character I found is if you sincerely apologize and they're and they're cool with it then that, that yeah. speaks yeah, all of them yeah. so
1: absolutely absolutely
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know i I mean I I kind of grew up around Howard Rheingold, if you've ever heard of him. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
1: He had a community called Brainstorms, and it was early on in the, the internet in the mm-hmm. late 1990s, early 2000s. Eight I was Eight million part of the, years ago. It was a long time ago. I was young then. I was young and cute, and it was wonderful, but nobody could see me because it was that long ago in the internet, and everything was text. And uh, one of his rules was, the first rule was assume goodwill.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. So in your conversations, assume that the person you're conversing with is of goodwill. And if you make a mistake, apologize and move on. Yeah. And so that's the way I've always, you know, conducted myself. And and then there's, you know, I was a, a web admin for a long time on various communities and when we got trolls I just you know ejected with extreme prejudice after you know I would try basically saying no you're wrong because of xyz and then they would try some nonsense with me and then I'd have to just get rid of them but what I found was is if I had a female name online I was treated differently than if I had a male name mm-hmm. or a non-gender specific name that people didn't know Yep, they would assume that I was male because I I I had so many people when they found out I was a woman be like mm-hmm. you write like a man mm-hmm. I do do I mm-hmm. I actually think I write like a woman because you know if I am writing a piece of description I use colors in my description <laughs> and Y'all know three colors: red, blue, and gray,
0: <laughs> and brown.
1: I use aubergine.
0: <laughs> uh-uh.
1: That should give me away right there. Well, maybe you were a gay guy. Okay, all right, I'll I'll, I'll take that, but you and know, I'm so I, much
3: wrapped up into just you write like a man or a gay man, and I'm like, no, I,
0: I know, <laughs> Stop. I know, I know. Please stop. I know. That I was know. my wine glass. I'm sorry. <laughs> Your wine <laughs> glass <sleep>. isn't sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my no, glass, wine glass fun. says it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> it's I was filthy. playing with it. It bumped my microphone. I'm like,
3: oh, stop it talking. It made a good
0: stop. It made a nice, gone. pretty song.
1: Yeah, it did. It did. Because, yeah, that's... uh <laughs> You write like a man. And I was like, how do I respond to this? What does that even mean? Well, you're very logical. Uh Oh, my God. You're
3: not a hysteric. Uh That's what that means. Let's come back to hysteric.
1: I don't have an angry octopus of a uterus in me
0: (laughs) running around (laughs) controlling my fingers on the keyboard. My uterus has boxing gloves, thank you very much.
2: We're gonna, I don't, maybe we'll get some fan art off of this episode. <laughs> oh my, my
0: god.
3: Yes. <laughs> my feeble, easily distracted lady brain just went, oh lord yes, please give me fan art of this. Um,
2: okay internet, you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> I, well, you know, I have to do, we have to do some sort of uh, cover art for this episode, so oh, you no. never know. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm, oh I might God. just have to haul off and draw an angry uterus with boxing uterus gloves. With
2: boxing oh, gloves. God, that would be a scream. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, I, I tried to put it in the chat. I'm going to need to be uh, doing other things, sadly, oh, here. The, yeah, I and was we'll about get, to say, we're, oh. we're
1: close to... So,
2: so I messed up the transition.
1: <laughs> no, you're fine. That's okay. We can... You're,
2: you're going to be all smooth. I'm like, hey, I'm breaking the fourth wall. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what? It it's yeah. fine. You didn't pee on air.
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm, that <laughs> story is
3: gonna. That story is gonna make everybody feel much. Le- anybody who's nervous ever, it's just gonna be perfect. You're no longer nervous. You haven't messed up as hard as I have.
2: Mm-hmm. They'll be even more nervous because they'll be thinking, "Oh my God, it actually
1: happened. That means it could happen again."
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, do you have anything else to say, Stephanie? Dear God, I'm trying to rein this in, and I'm failing. It's a, I write like a man, but I can't rein in the the chaos. I, just I write
0: like a man, but I sit when I pee. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you for having me on and um, and having this discussion. It's uh, yeah, it's just really I. Uh, anyone hit me up if you you know want to uh, be an ally and you're not sure about how to go forward and um, uh, Oh, I also have a bunch of uh, resources in that my blog post about that, uh, uh, interview I did on misogyny and, and in, in the pair of weird on the farm.
1: Okay. I'll and, put that uh, in the show notes too.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I'm always learning about the uh, new, uh, you know, like women researchers and, and new people, uh, coming online with exciting ideas, which I love. Um, and yeah, just thanks so much. I had a great time and, uh, it was really thanks fun. Thanks for coming.
1: It was oh yeah. Thank you so, so much. much. No, it, it was, was really, a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's Important stuff to talk about, but then also I got to hear about your whole swan encounter, and I'm <laughs> seething with jealousy. I'm gonna be like tossing and turning tonight in my dreams.
0: <laughs> She's gonna be chasing swans. Come here! <laughs> well,
2: you know, I'm gonna go uh, bird watching tomorrow to there a place where there are a, a bunch of swans and <laughs> well, geese, so you I'll report know. back. Yeah. All
0: right, remember, we'll be every <laughs> yes. just keep in mind every America's Funniest Home video clip you've ever seen. And and don't don't do, any thing, do nothing but attack
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yes oh, all right God. thank you for
1: being thank here you. we oh, loved having you, you. yeah Yay. well that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of john keel podcast if you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal you can contact us at 6DJK67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Until next time, keep your eyes on the skies. Hold across your doorstep. And don't make eye contact
0: with the haunted doll. Because if you make eye contact, it becomes your responsibility.
3: And then you have to kill it with fire. <laughs>